welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. This is Constantine Mavrudis. I'm a surgical resident at the University of Pennsylvania, and I am here with uh, Dr. J. William Gaynor, who is the Associate Professor of Surgery and at the University of Pennsylvania and who holds the Daniel M. Tabas Endowed Chair in Pediatric Cardiothoracic Surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where he is the Surgical Director of the Heart Failure and Transplant Department and the Director of the Fetal Neuroprotection and Neuroplasticity Institute. He's published over 350 peer-reviewed manuscripts across a wide spectrum of congenital heart defects and the surgical treatment thereof. His clinical interests span the entirety of the surgical management of congenital heart defects with a special interest in vascular rings and aortic arch pathology. He is here today to discuss vascular rings and pulmonary artery sling through a moderated case discussion. Dr. Gaynor, thank you for your time and for sharing your expertise with us today. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. We'll start with the case of a two-month-old child with feeding difficulties, including dysphagia and slow feeding. After ruling out primary GI issues, such as dysphagia, the patient is sent to your clinic for further evaluation. How would you start your evaluation of this child? Well, I think obviously, as, as always, you would start with a uh, history and a uh, physical exam. The history is going to mainly be positive for dysphagia. A two-month-old is obviously just going to be on uh, liquids. There may be signs, some signs of reflux. Uh, etc. So I'm going to assume that the child has had a swallow and a uh, and a, an evaluation for reflux uh, as part of their evaluation. There's not going to be, there are very few physical findings that will help you. The when the rule out again looking at uh, causes, we usually include a barium swallow, which hopefully will show if there's either anterior or posterior compression of the uh, esophagus during swallowing and can give you a pretty good idea of uh, whether or not there is a vascular uh, <clears throat> cause of this. Um, and if, it's just, and if, if the uh, swallow shows no compression of the, uh, of the esophagus with swallowing, then it's really unlikely to be a vascular uh, etiology. So I'm assuming that when the kid comes, there's some, there's some concern that this is a vascular ring or va- vascular compressive uh, phenomena. Uh, chest x-ray alone is usually not particularly helpful. Echocardiography can be useful. It can, show, it can show things such as the presence of a right aortic arch. It can show sometimes a double aortic arch. It can rule out in, any associated intracardiac abnormalities, which are usually uh, uh, rare. But I think really the, the, probably the preferred diagnostic technique would be uh, MRI. Um, it can give, really give you very good delineation of the anatomy. Uh, however, it does uh, may require uh, sedation. CT scan can usually be obtained without sedation, but does expose the child to radiation. Both can provide uh, adequate information, and there's really no role uh, in the absence of some other anomaly for uh, cardiac catheterization. 
So you complete the workup and you find that imaging uh, demonstrates the presence of a double aortic arch. Uh, there are no intracardiac defects. Um, can you comment on the indications and timing of uh, and of surgical intervention and any potent, uh, further pertinent workup prior to operative repair? Uh, well, again, it's, it's going to depend on the symptoms. I mean, if it's a double aortic arch in a small baby, it can be dysphagia. Frequently, there may also be uh, respiratory difficulties, which may masquerade as either reactive airways disease or recurrent infections. Uh, so, if there really, if there's symptoms in a double aortic arch, it's not going to get better treated medically. So, there would be uh, uh, no reason to delay uh, surgical repair. And if you've had a CT or an MRI, you should have all the necessary information there. Again, you want to rule out any. Uh, any associated intracardiac anomalies, you want to know where the descending aorta is localized, and you really want to know, um, in particular, the relative size is of the arc of the uh, of each aortic arch, because that's going to dictate your um, type of repair. Um, in addition, you have to realize that occasionally uh, there may be a, a you may be, may see evidence of vascular and vascular compression, which doesn't look like a double aortic arch. But it's, there's an atretic segment, and so there's no flow. So um, you have to be aware of that as a possibility. And uh, what is your preferred operative approach of isolated vascular rings? Well, again, it, it's it's going to depend on. I mean, the term I, isolated vascular rings is, is a little bit of a misnomer. They're vascular compressive syndromes, and they're a wide variety of different types. And you need to individual. There's not one approach that will work for all vascular rings. For a double aortic arch, the, the most important consideration is um, the, the relative size of the aortic arch because you want to divide the smaller aortic arch so that you don't create any obstruction in the aortic arch. So if, there, if the right side is smaller, usually we would do a right thoracotomy and divide the right side. If the left side is, um, is smaller, then you could do this through a left thoracotomy. And again, you also have to look to, for uh, any remnant, depending where you divide it, choose to divide it uh, in the relationship to the descending aorta and the, the uh, head and neck vessels and also the ductus arteriosus or ligamentum arteriosus. It's possible to divide a, uh, an aortic arch and still have a ligamentum which still results in residual compression. So you have to be sure that you completely mobilize uh, the vessels and uh, divide a ligamentum if it's in the way. Uh, we would usually do a uh, aortopexy and uh, depending on the exact location, pull the aorta away from the trachea either to the anterior chest wall or to the prevertebral fascia, fascia just to uh, relieve the obstruction as much as possible. Are there any additional uh, and particular operative considerations or potential pitfalls uh, in these procedures? The biggest consideration with this is that you have to have adequate proximal and distal control. What will happen is if you try to just put clamps on and divide, these will frequently retract. So um, I always, you have to mobilize extensively and be sure that you have absolute vascular control where this cannot slip out of your clamp. Because if you divide near the descending aorta and it it slips posteriorly and you lose control, you've, uh, the patient can exsanguinate. So the main thing is just to be very careful, fully mobilize all the structures, fully mobilize the vessels, and be sure that you have uh, 
adequate control and an adequate length on any vessel that you decide you divide uh, it, it before you actually uh, divide it and because you do not want to lose um, lose a vessel and uh, under what circumstances would you approach these lesions from a medium sternotomy as opposed to a thoracotomy if we're seeking from a double aortic arch the only time I've done a double aortic arch from the front through a median sternotomy was when there was an associated intracardiac lesion. Again, if there's a left thoracotomy and uh, we're doing a double aortic arch, that would only be in the case where the left arch is the smaller arch. Uh, if the right arch is the smaller arch, we would do this through a right thoracotomy. Um, can you comment on the typical post-operative course of these patients and any uh, particular complications <coughs> that can arise in the post-operative period? Um, usually the course should be fairly benign, I mean, as long as you haven't had significant bleeding. Um, you do have to be sure, again, I always test occlude every vessel before I divide it and make sure I haven't done impaired perfusion to the lower body or to the, uh, or to the arm. You have to worry about the uh, recurrent laryngeal nerve, uh, particularly if you're operating around the, uh, the ligamentum, and uh, so there can be a, there's a possibility for vocal cord. Um, injury. The esophagus is obviously <clears throat> very close to this and there is a, uh, a risk of esophageal injury. Uh, we always worry about abnormal lymphatics and the possibility of a post-operative chylothorax. This is one of the cases that if you see chylus drainage, it's most useful to, to reoperate very early and you can usually find the area of injury and, uh, and close it. It's important to realize that depending on the, um, on the uh, Severity of the symptoms, there still the there still may be some residual airway obstruction. The uh, uh, airway may not fully uh, uh, just <coughs> expand back, and it may take a while. I always tell the parents there may be some still noisy breathing, uh, particularly the child has a cold for a year or so. It's rare with a double aortic arch to actually have a, a true anatomic. Um, tracheal issues such as complete rings or tracheal narrowing and if you operate at a very early age it's very rare to ever have to intervene on the uh, on the trachea itself and <clears throat> how would your uh, preoperative approach change in the case of a patient who had a similar presentation uh, but was found to have a pulmonary artery sling again it, it wouldn't really be that differently different I mean again You'll probably have an echo, and then you'll have the, the structures delineated by either a CT or an MRI, which will tell you what it is. Again, this is an this is the one consideration here. Again, this is a situation where you can have a double arch with an atretic left segment, and it may mimic um, a right aortic arch with an aberrant subclavian and a, and a uh, left ligamentum. And so if you just divide the left ligamentum and don't divide the atretic arch, you'll still have a vascular ring. So you just need to be sure, and, and that may not be apparent from the preoperative studies because the CT and the MRI are dependent on flow in the vessels and they may not show you uh, the atretic vessel. Sometimes you can get an idea of this by looking at the, orient, the anatomy of the other vessels and if they're sort of pulled down to the pulmonary artery or not. Uh, but you have to ver be very careful that you completely mobilize the right arch and the subclavian uh, and the descent aorta to be sure that there's not a ligament, in addition to the ligamentum, there's not an atretic uh, left arch. And how are the uh, preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative considerations different uh, in the case of a right aortic arch with left ligamentum arteriosum? 
again, they're not particularly um, different. Uh, you will usually have a echocardiogram and either a CT or an MRI to define the anatomy. The one thing you do need to consider is that this can be mimicked by the presence of a double aortic arch with an atretic segment. The CT or MRI are dependent on flow to show you the vessels. So if there's no flow, uh, you may not see it. You can sometimes get an idea of this from the uh, orientation of the subclavian artery. But when you do the procedure, again, this would be done through a left thoracotomy. You need to mobilize the vessels uh, completely. Look for the presence of an, of, of an atretic left segment. And if there is an atretic left segment and a ligamentum divide both, uh, again, you need to be very careful about obtaining proximal and distal vascular control before you uh, divide any, any, uh, any vessels. But usually this should be a very straightforward operation. Mm -hmm. The post-operative considerations are, again, the same concern about damage to intrathoracic structures, um, recurrent nerve injury, esophageal injury, chylothorax, and persistent symptoms. <clears throat> How would your uh, preoperative approach change in the case of a patient who had a similar presentation but was found to have mm -hmm. a pulmonary artery sling? Again, these, these usually present in a much different way. They're, they're frequently uh, neonates or infants. It's a much more complicated repair. This is the one situation where there is frequently uh, a tracheal abnormality with uh, complete tracheal rings and long, long or short tracheal stenosis. It's the, the one type of vascular compressive syndrome where it is um, common to need to address the trachea at the, uh, at the time of operation. So we would do these through a median sternotomy uh, on, on cardiopulmonary bypass. We would uh, usually divide, after mobilizing all the structures, we would divide the uh, LPA and bring it around and reimplant it on the uh, main pulmonary artery, usually with a, with a helmograph patch uh, anteriorly to, to hopefully prevent stenosis. Although there is a real risk, these vessels are usually small, and there's a real risk of stenosis, and frequently uh, a stent may be necessary in the postoperative period. Then the, the management of the tracheal rings just depends on the uh, degree of tracheal obstruction. If, if it's very mild, you may not need to do anything. If there is a significant uh, obstruction, again, it depends on the uh, exact location. It's frequently distal near the carina. If it's a very short segment right where the vessel is, sometimes you can just do a very simple excision of one or two rings and an end-to-end and an anastomosis. If there's any longer uh, uh, segment narrowing, we would usually do a, uh, a slide tracheoplasty. That will be our, primary, our first choice for these cases. There's really not much indication currently for use of a pericardial patch. There's been too many late complications. If we did need to use some sort of patch, we would probably use costal cartilage. Um, and again, for these, in an infant or a neonate, you can usually mobilize the trachea very well within the, uh, the chest. It's, it's not common to need things such as hyla releases or uh, a super hyoid release to get length. Those are usually reserved for uh, older kids with very long segment uh, stenosis. And are there any other specific intraoperative concerns in the management of these patients? It's not as particularly intraoperative, but it's the postoperative management, particularly when you've done a slide tracheoplasty. It's rare that you need to do anything in, a, in an infant to uh, fix the chin. 
or uh, do anything like that. But we do usually we do this as a t as an airway team approach with uh, our ENT colleagues. Uh, we use uh, bronchoscopy during the procedure to assess the assess the repair, and it's frequently necessary in the post-operative period that frequent bronchoscopy may be necessary for. Uh, for granulation tissue or to help clear secretions early on. So I think really the, the isolated vascular rings are usually managed by the cardiac surgery team. I think in the when you have something like a uh, PA sling with tracheal stenosis, these are really managed by uh, multi, best managed by multidisciplinary uh, airway teams, which will include um, ENT physicians. And can you share with us uh, the long-term prognosis for these patients and how you typically counsel families after repair? I, for usually for an isolated vascular compressive syndrome such as uh, right arch or left ligamentum or a, a straightforward double arch, I usually tell you know, if there's not an immediate complication with uh, injury to the intrathoracic structure, recurrent nerve problems, chylothorax. I tell the parents that it's it's very rare that they will need re-intervention for this. Uh, that um, you, even though they may have persistent symptoms, particularly if they have a cold, that usually the airway and the esophagus will uh, will recover and they will become asymptomatic. So I, I, t I typically counsel them that for the simple ones, this is going to be straight, usually straightforward, and that they're going to do well in the long run. Some will still have the esophagus may not be normal. Some still may have some swallowing difficulties, which may be a motility issue, even in the absence of any um, obstruction. There's concern in older patients when there's a Comoral's diverticulum. Um, that uh, that this may be uh, a problem that's particularly in the child who has a left arch and an aberrant uh, right subclavian with a Comoral's diverticulum. We have not found it necessary in most of these kids to resect the Comoral's diverticulum. Uh, usually, if we divide the you know if we divide the ligamentum and pull the Comoral's diverticulum posteriorly, that's been uh, successful. Although there are some case reports of persistent obstruction with the Comoral's diverticulum, and some groups have advocated uh, resection of the of the diverticulum and division of the subclavian and reimplantation. Uh, we have not found that necessary in most cases. So, uh, however, then if you do have a uh, a kid with a more complex uh, uh, type of defect, such as pulmonary slingery, if you do an extensive tracheal reconstruction, <clears throat> there I think the long-term prognosis is a, is a little more uncertain until you see how they do in the perioperative period. Some of these kids do incredibly well and have no airway symptoms and no residual obstruction. Others come back and have either tracheal malacia or uh, recurrent stenosis and need to be dilated or have other airway interventions. So I think that's you have to, to stratify your counseling of the parents by the ty exact type of defect uh, present. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gaynor, for taking the time to share your knowledge about this very important subject. Okay, thank you for giving me this opportunity.